podcast from music loving people where we take every single album by a particular artist and we rank it all from worst to first uh it's a thing where one time we were reviewed on itunes as someone said it's really fun but they don't get all their facts right and honestly it was the most honest review i've ever read of yeah, this show that's totally fair. possibly ever uh but hey uh <laughs> listen we are here we're in the middle of it and right now the thing is i'm sure you'll probably all listen to our very short very fun season four where we just got to kind of do whatever the fuck we feel like we did things we reviewed our first k-pop artist we did our first country artist and now in our big, big season five, we're actually tackling something we haven't really done before. We are diving headfirst into the realm of bluegrass. In fact, we're going to be picking apart the discography of one of the most popular bluegrass groups of maybe all time. I don't know. We're digging into it. That's right. This week, we're talking about the one, the only, that group that is definitely not part of the writer's room of the sci-fi TV show The Expanse because they don't care for a drummer. That's right, guys. We're talking about Nickel Creek. <laughs> the <laughs> That's the joke. The Bunch Brothers, if you're nasty. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a different. It's a whole different band. Yeah. So, uh, listen, Nickel Creek. <laughs> uh, they are basically a group that started out in Southern California. Uh, it is basically centered around the virtuosic musicianship of three incredibly powerful musicians. There is Chris Thiele, who is, of course, the mandolin player du jour. There is, of course, also Sarah Watkins, who is an incredible violinist. And there is her brother, Sean Watkins, who is amazing on guitar. The three of them formed a group when they were super goddamn young. As in, like, they were, some of them weren't even in the double digits yet when they were starting started recording and rehearsing and playing all over the place. And the thing is that they have gone out and have started an incredible career uh, that basically started out with them doing little kind of country covers and just kind of playing on those circuits a little bit before truly developing a voice of their own, their popularity exploding in the wake of the uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack and the whole cultural reset that that ultimately did and introduced so many people into the world of what bluegrass and country and authentic Americana was in terms of music. They kind of rode on to that success, but they have so much more to say. They have a fact Fascinating discography, and we are going to dive into it today. Who's the we that's doing the diving? I'm glad you asked. First off, there's me. I'm Evan Saudi. You might know me as the host of this podcast in the tweets and in the streets. And also, I, the thing is, I also review a lot of things. I write a lot of things. But most importantly, if you know anything about this podcast, you know the person sitting next to me, the Sarah Watkins to my Chris Thiele. That's right. Taryn O'Reilly! Hello! I like how I'm the Sarah. Yeah. Even though we have... Literally, my sister I can be is here. Sean, it's fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, listen. Uh, the thing is that you've just heard the voice. You know it. It's incredible. Someone who is a dear, dear friend, who is a musical superhero to us, and because. You have heard her on multiple episodes, including, yeah, this is the third one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah because she was on our uh, Death Cab episode, on our Iron and Wine episode, and because she's here right now, she's now officially a Chartogers All-Star. <laughs> That's right, guys. Link in the studio, Karina O'Reilly. Karina. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Talk about 
this new foray into bluegrass with you guys? Yeah, well, the thing is that I this has been an interesting week for me because I had to start from scratch. I know of Nickel Creek. I never really dug it. I heard like maybe one or two songs here or there, but I never was really dug. This is my first time fully going into it. But from what I understand, you're the one who actually introduced Terrence in Nickel Creek, correct? Yes. He yeah. just showed me the playlist from the Best of Nickel Creek. Was it a CD when I Yeah, you made a mix CD for me. Because I... I don't remember exactly when I discovered them, but I listened to them with my best friend from junior high and high school, Kim. That that was really the starting point. And then they played on my campus my freshman year at Marquette oh, University. Oh, I didn't realize of, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Diddy Bops opened for them. Oh, wow. Oh, really, wow. And then we saw Nickel, Nickel Creek played. It was a really, really fun show. And I mean, I loved them before that, but I think that was the start of my, like, really just, like... Infusing them into my blood yeah. <laughs> as music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, it'll be interesting really to talk about their whole discography, as I'm sure we'll get into their first two albums. Not as well known. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about that because I feel like in terms of the discography, initially, I'm not sure if you all know this about the chartographers, we've done everything from 16 album discographies to much smaller ones, like some five, I think is our bare minimum on here. And the thing is, when you're talking about Nickel Creek, a lot of people will talk about the four albums that they've done, basically from 2000 onward when they were shined to Sugar Hill Records and later none such, when they were, uh, you know, kind of more of a commercial force. But the thing is, is that they do have a full discography. They have six albums, but we're going to get into the specifics of it in a little second here because if we're talking about the six albums we're of course talking about their country cowpoke debut night little cowpoke in 1993 when they're literally called the nickel creek band uh there was of course their much more mature self-released effort here to there from 1997 there was their allison krauss produced breakthrough in terms of nickel creek in the year 2000 there was uh their gold selling follow-up to that this side from 2002 there was their light a little bit more indie rock uh, scented why should the fire die from 2005 and after a long break away from the group they reunited for the stripped down and in their prime a dotted line from 2014 now that is six albums but the thing is we do need to talk about little cowpoke and here to there because the thing is if you were just the random chartographers listener who's like oh my god i love the local creek i know all four of their albums where are the other two they're not on spotify but here's the thing little cowpoke their debut is still available on cd they were signed to uh, of course the legendary choo choo records uh, and the thing is, it's still being sold on their website. If you need a catalog, you can reach them at 888-CHUG-CHUG. Uh, <laughs> it's literally, it literally says that on the back of the CD. Uh, and the thing is that, I don't know, they're a small-time little gig, but the thing is that that record, it's them as kids, as yeah. fucking It's very types. informative to well, listen to in a lot of yeah. yeah, I yeah. mean, they were 12 and 16 when yeah. they recorded that, so it... That tells you a lot about what exactly is going on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. The big question mark here is Here to There from 1997. Now, this was a little bit more of a mature album from them, especially following Little Cowpo. Uh, it has some original compositions on it for once, thank God. But the thing is, is that it's still self-released, and it is still, as of this day hugely, widely unavailable. It did not make the transfer to the digital era. At all. It is not available for purchase or streaming anywhere. In fact, when we tried to purchase the CD to get it, it was $250 on Amazon oh because it is a collector's item. Yeah. 
Or, um, and then you ended up just buying it on eBay. Mm-hmm. Someone um, had a burned CD so copy So they said, that, yeah, it. we yeah. bought a burned CD copy of it. Which is perfectly sufficient. Right. I mean, the thing, and so the question is, is like, okay, if this is so hard to get and I can't get the files online, why even put it as part of the discography? Why even rank it as a piece of quote unquote lost media, as it were? I kind of love that. I mean, we have never done lost media like this before, but... It is also, like, I think a pretty, again, just like you said about Lil Capo, Carita, it's a very informative record to listen to when you are learning about the their career arc. Yeah. For, from someone who knows the rest of their discography, like, backwards and forwards, listening to those two albums, I it was really interesting to see how, like, their roots and where they developed from and how, like... Even on that early album, from here to there, you kind of start to hear their personalities mm-hmm. in a way that you then learn throughout their time as Nickel Creek. And then if you've listened to any of them as independent artists or in the other groups they're in, they all have very clear voices in their songwriting. And I think you do start to hear that, mm-hmm. not here to there. Right. And so for that reason, and also because the uh, the week we recorded this in late uh, 2020, it was around the time that there was going to be a vinyl repressing of their three Sugar Hill era albums, uh, Nickel Creek, The Side and White of the Fire Die. Uh, and so they've been doing a lot of tours, a lot of press over it. And the thing is that they, they noted in one of the, Vulture, uh, I believe, Vulture interviews about it, like how it seemed like their catalog had fell into a different set of hands, which is why the re-release was happening. I'm not sure what their record label relationship is, but if they have any sort of say in here to there, maybe, maybe we can encourage them to finally put it out there. Can the chartographers do it? We will see, see. at the end of this podcast, but we need to talk about it first. Uh, and in terms of that, six albums, six slots... Karina O'Reilly, special guest, photographer's all-star, well-known. Uh, I want to say we have six albums here. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be any surprise on this, but I can get to ask the question anyway. Karina, <laughs> what would you nominate as the worst Nickel Creek album? Yeah, I mean, given this list, I have to go with Lil' Cowpoke. Oh, yeah. my fucking God. I mean, it feels unfair it's... in some ways because of the age thing. But, yeah. But, like, I mean, that's going to be true this whole ride because... They were so young when they started. You can hear them mature through their discography. So we have to kind of set that aside. Yeah. For those right. who don't know, Chris Thiele, he he picked up the instrument when he was about two, two. years old. Yeah. And yeah, he like there's recordings on the documentary How to Grow a Band about the Punch Brothers, his other group he did afterwards. They show some footage of them playing together. Like he's fucking five and well, he is wailing on yeah, the Yeah, I mean he thing. was he was truly a a virtuoso yeah, on a the mandolin, like at a very young age. Yeah. And so that's that is still like they're still playing on Little Cowpoke that is very technically proficient and very impressive. Yes. It it is an impressive album in a lot of musical ways when given their age. But I mean, yeah, like you said, there's some very technically impressive playing, you know. Honestly, but here's the thing about it, though. It is nothing but country covers. We're talking well, about happy trips. It's not just country it's covers. Cowboy it's, covers. It's cowboy covers. Yeah. It's cowboy covers. It's like, you know, songs from the 30s and 40s, unchanged. How long be which I think cowboy sweetheart. Is, oh, God. So that's the biggest <laughs> problem with this album, is not that it's just, like, bluegrass kids bop. It's that... It's, I mean, just the fact that Pecos Bill exists and is on here, I promise, (laughs) I promise that scaring the Redskins so hard that their war paint fell off and that's how the Painted Desert got his name, that was already not okay in 1993. (laughs) And so, just, 
yeah. Uh, it's 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 hard to listen to at to times. To have that be the one that they're still selling is very questionable. Right. I think, and I think that Choo Choo Records, whoever the fuck they are, I just like, the thing is like, even on their website, they're like, the album from Nickel Creek, Grammy winners for the album This Side, like it has that in the description. Right. Like, and this it's is like, I'm sure they're only fucking cow. I'm, I'm cool. sure that if Nickel Creek had a say in it, this album would not still be available. Yeah. yeah. It would be Star Wars Christmas because special out of this, this universe. Totally. Yeah. 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 This is, uh, frankly, while there's still like, like for example, I think Chant of the Wanderer is actually look kind of cute. I wouldn't be mad if, like, I bought a children's compilation, you know, for was- my children that I will never ever have, yeah. um, and and that was on there. Like that would be right. that would be good. I felt like that was a song like our parents would sing to us when we were kids. Totally, like, it, just, it does feel like kind of and more of an earthy, like not quite the problematic cowboy. Right. Western yeah. worship that some of the other songs yeah. are. Okay. Well, also, I think yeah. it's, the other reason it's weird is because they're from California. Yeah, they're not from Texas. Nor are they so from it feels, Wyoming. It feels very much like a 30s era, we need to make some money and our kids are talented gambit. Totally. At yeah. times. I, the thing is that I don't, the thing is I don't view this album necessarily as exploitative. I just view it as like, the thing is, the reason that you would never listen to this is for the incredible, incredible bass work of Dad Scott Thiele. Like, it's incredible what he does on this record. I'm totally, totally fucking kidding. Now, genuinely, <laughs> Chris Thiele is still mandolining the fuck up over here and it's no fault <laughs> the thing is genuinely though it's no fault of sarah or sean's abilities they're both still very good this is a wholly competent album but the thing is it's also full-on covers like the thing is yeah. there's not a chance for their thing the only thing that's distinctive about it is oh look how good this kid is when he was young that's really the only takeaway mm-hmm. that you get out of this record yeah. genuinely great so let's bury it bury the fuck right, out of moving it moving on <laughs> Poke. I know exactly. It's fun to. Sh- I listen. I have a feeling if they had a saying that they'd probably shit on it a little bit too. But at the same time, they're kids. Like we all do stupid things when we're kids. Like five yeah. years ago when I started this podcast, right? Which is why we're uh, not like, how dare they? Yeah. yeah. It's just you know, it was a, it was a, a little bit of a surprise. Like I, I understand why this is not on streaming. <laughs> yes. yes. Even though, like for example, Chris Ely's solo '90s albums are, but they're mostly instrumental, so mm-hmm. that makes a little more sense. There yes. isn't content to yeah. be. Edited, and there. he didn't have to have his sick as lawyers on Chug Choo Choo Records. Or whatever the fuck. <laughs> uh, okay, in that case, that's pretty easy. Little cowpoke, uh, number five slot. Taron O'Reilly, what would you throw on there? Um, I was actually very pleasantly surprised by this album, but it has to be here to there. It has to be our yeah. lost media album. It does. It, it does. And and I, the first thing that I will say about here to there is, I am very happy as a huge Nickel Creek fan. I am very happy that we took the effort to get this and that we listened to it because I actually really like, especially the instrumentals yes. on this mm-hmm. record. The opener, the self-titled track here to there, Old Cold Coffee on the Dashboard, and Cross the Bridge are all fantastic. And an even simple song for Salty the Sea Slug. None of those, all of those would be completely at home in any of their later albums. Agreed. I think the the playing is proficient. You could hear clearly hear the um, technical improvements that both Sarah and Sean have made on their instruments by this point, because for sure there's already a lot more. I mean, they weren't bad by four by any before by any means, but 
Um, just the technical ability on display from all three of them on this album is is really impressive. Yeah, yeah. this for me was the Sean album because like, okay, Chris Dilley's really good at mandolin, we know this, but right. like some of the guitar work he does on that, for me particularly on You Don't Have to Move That Mountain, like it was like near the end there, he is just sliding on it, he's doing little hammer-ons, he's doing like all sorts of really, really intricate work on here. Yes. Like, And for a teenager, like I know there's some teenage prodigies, but like for the acoustic guitar especially, like this guy's fucking got it. Like, and that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I the only thing is that on this album in that interview with Vulture there's a note about in listening back to their self-titled 2000 Nickel Creek how Chris Lee thinks it's hard for him to listen to because he hears the auto-tune which like for the record he reading that was like Wait, what? I don't yeah. hear it. Well, I know specifically because I read that comment and then the entire rest of the week in listening to their self-titled, I was going, can I hear the autotune? And, and the truth is that if you're using autotune or pitch correction correctly, how it was originally intended, you're not supposed to be able to tell. Right. But I can, like, there's a couple, like, when they do their three st- three-part stacked harmonies... Where I'm like, okay, they probably put a little bit of effect on this to make it yeah. a little more pleasant. It, it, it has a little more of that um, studio sheen mm-hmm. than... Certainly. than yeah, like, which Alison Krauss would know how to do. She completely. is a consummate professional. Right, yeah. right. But just back to here to there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some questionable vocal takes on here. Yeah, because sure. they're fucking teenagers. Right. So, like, but, I'm willing to give a pass on it. I, um, yeah, I mean, and I... I just have to say, like, for me, the, like, I was saying this to Taryn, but, like, the amount of Jesus in it is a little cringy for me, mm-hmm. um, especially, like, listening back to back with Little Cowpoke. But also, yeah. like, think about when we were 16. Oh, sure. You know? I'm, yeah, I still don't know that if someone asked me to write a song, I would have written He Will Listen to You. But well, I don't know that they wrote He Will Listen to You. I, I have to look at That's... it again. They wrote a lot of them, and Sean wrote a lot of them. Yeah, and Sean's still a little bit down with the JC. Uh, you Which know, is, yeah, yeah. it's Which fine. Is, okay. I, I think for me, it was like, I, I have, again, like, listening to it in conjunction with Little Cowpoke and listening to how, and knowing their ages and that kind of thing, like, brought up a lot of, like, feminist issues for me that we don't necessarily have to go into. But I think, like you said, the instrumentals on it are amazing. Mm-hmm. I, and, and for that, I would purchase this album if it was for purchase. Right. right. By this band, because yeah. I love the band, and I love them as artists, and so I would be like, yeah, I want to have this. Isn't also, there a song around here that actually shows up on their best of, the reason why? Yeah, like, that's, the You Don't Have one. to Move That Mountain. Yeah. And right. I do a... really enjoy You Don't Have to Move That Mountain. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Even I though was, it is, yeah. I mean, it has just, Christian ideology behind yeah. it, but it's still, it's a great song, and she sings it really well. Even on this early, even the yeah. year to their version... It's not a perfect vocal take, but she's given it her all, yeah. and I still thoroughly enjoy it. Very, uh, very strong. Yeah, cool. So. Well, I think that uh, do we need to say anything more about here to there? No, but like seriously, if you wanted to put Just this out, put it on there. streaming. Do put I streaming? like? Do I need to call Scott Feely or like what? How do we what make do we this happen? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I, Chris, you're pretty successful. If you called him, I'm pretty sure he would listen to you. So I'm uh, <laughs> saying, if that that's a possibility. All right, number five, here there. There we go. I the, literally no surprises at this point here. But now we are at the big four. We are at the the discography that people know and are aware of and have loved and is beloved all over the place. So now comes the tough part of nominating a record here. I'm going to go ahead and throw out a nomination. And the thing is that, like, I will say that even with some of the issues with Here to There, 
This is such a good discography. Mm-hmm. The thing is that every album has its own distinct flavor, its own distinct feel to it, you know, yes. like, and there's a lot to it. And uh, as such, especially in diving into it, especially as being the new the neophyte here that's just kind of taking it all in at once, it might be controversial, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I think in number four, I would put the self-titled record. Now, part of the reason for that is the fact that, like, and I, again, I don't hear the autotune on here, and Taryn was noting how, like, there was an interview about Alison Krauss was the person that really helped them refine their vocal harmonies and their stacking. And they are incredible, like, as a group. And the songs they're writing have a level of maturity to them, because mm-hmm. even in The Lighthouse's Tale, uh, it's this, like, smart, like, it just feels like it's more of a generational song. It feels like a traditional. It does, totally. you know. Yeah. I, I, I almost assumed that it was a cover I did too. At right. first. It is very impressive. As, yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like you said, like, there. it sounds like it was passed down in an oral tradition before it was written down. Mm-hmm. Like, they have achieved that with that song. And right. I think that's really impressive. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I mean, just to speak to Chris Steely's proficiency, I mean, I think that that mandolin is like one of the most iconic. I mean, I just. When I read the title of the song, that just starts happening that hook, in my head. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, it's just... It's like a wave, you know? Like, it just right. flows. Yeah. Oh, God, I didn't even think of it. <laughs> just kind and of just, rising and the And the way yeah. that the, the song builds, like, it really, like, it makes sense that it's an all-timer for them. Exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, this record is full of just some, like, wonderful, fun moments. I know that Chris Dealey has said that he got sick as fuck for playing the Fox for as long as he did. People kept <laughs> asking for it Another and demanding classic, classic it. Exactly. Song. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that is a, a traditional, and I always think of Aunt Jamie singing it. Right. And then I was talking to Dad, and he was like, oh, well, Aunt Jamie learned from it, learned it from our Aunt Eileen, who yeah. always used to sing it. So, right. like, so to me, you know, is their version of it fun? Sure. But, like, I already was approaching it as a traditional, so it's yeah. not one of my favorites. Right. And the one thing is that I would say is that a lot of there's some uh, purists out there that don't necessarily view Nickel Creek as full bluegrass because they have such pop overtones to their thing. Sure. And the thing is that like yeah, they adhere to a little bit more uh, I would say traditionally poppy song structures at times, even though the instrumentation. Yeah, well, is very and much sometimes it's, I mean they're just they're some of these songs are indie rock songs. Absolutely, Let's just right. call call yeah. it what it is. Yeah, and I would argue the thing is that I know this is their big platinum seller there, and I would say that of the four albums that we have left here, I would argue none of them are end to end masterpieces. Though the biggest thing for me, like as fun as an instrumental like in the House of Tom Bombadil is, uh, like and it's as fun, great as some of the performances are, this is a record that just like doesn't have for me seeing the maturity across the rest of these records here, the easy grooves they get into and the adventurousness that they take on to later albums is so striking to like hear this journey and then come back to the Nickel Creek and like this is a fully competent record. And I know it soundtracks so many people's lives. I know it was so many people's introduction just to the world of bluegrass as is, even if it did have a pop sheen to it there. Certainly. For me, of the four records that we have here, just by a couple marks, this is just the weakest one in my opinion. So I understand. <laughs> <laughs> um and 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 I don't necessarily disagree with anything you said, mm-hmm. um, but for me, I just like I think the first half of this album is like almost perfect. Like I just opening with like the O to a butterfly is like mm-hmm. just fantastic, and the way that all of the instruments trade off with each other uh-huh. and it really feels like 
you're watching a butterfly flit through the wildflowers. Like it's there's a I, visual I element grew to up it with like a prairie yeah. near my house, so I've seen that imagery. There's like, definitely, a, and and Ode to a Butterfly is one of their instrumentals that like I early on I knew which one. You know, like sometimes right. instrumentals yeah. have a hard time. Like, wait, which one is, is this? this but, some town is this smoothie song? Right, is but this? it's like no, I know what Ode to a Butterfly is. I recognize it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just a really and then, great song. You know, we've talked about Lighthouse's Tale. Out of the Woods is, like, in my, like, top 50 songs of all time. I will never get sick of it. It's yep. just fucking gorgeous. And, like, again, now that I know that it's there, like, maybe I can hear a little pitch correcting. But also, You'll thank care. God they did. Because yeah. it's so pretty. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so pretty. And, like, what a beautiful song to have written. They didn't. They didn't write this that one. This is one of the covers. It. I know. Well, and it's actually, I listened I'm okay to. I'm that, but I, yeah. <laughs> I listened to the original version of, and it's a lot, uh, you know, they use like, almost like a fuzz guitar on it. So it's a oh. very different feeling. Mm-hmm. It's still, and it's a little bit faster. It's still not like an upbeat song. Right. right. But they really took it and they were like, this is a country ballad. And they did yeah. all the things they needed to do to make that just work perfectly. And that's really something that you can say across their discography, when they do a cover, they utterly transform it. Mm-hmm. Completely. You know, you listen to the original, and even if they're covering a country song, you're like, yeah, they really did something different with the arrangement here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and I would say, again, with Out of the Woods, similar to Ultra Blair and The Lighthouse's Tale, and, well, and the whole first half of this album, I think what, part of what makes it perfect is it is very visual. Like, I listen to Out of the Woods, and it's meditative and I'm like I'm in a cabin in the woods totally mm-hmm. like as soon as I put that song on yeah and honestly one of my favorite discoveries this week no lie was actually the closer uh, Pastures New it's just, it has such a cinematic feel to it yeah. it's like oaky feel to it which is great I just it's one of the things where Robin and Marion for me is like kind of a take it or leave it proposition I have to be in the mood for it and sometimes Robin I am Robin and Marion I, I appreciate what they were going for <laughs> But it to me it's it like it would be better served as like music in the background of a movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really stand alone as a composition to me. Right. And then there's the hand song. We can't we can't get around it. It's there. It's just staring at us. It hurts us. It- <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I have I have a very like I don't even want to say love, hate. I have a very, like, push-pull relationship with the hand song. Very fair, yeah. Sarah sings it beautifully. Yeah. And, I mean, I think when I first was listening to it, I was still very Catholic. And so, like... There was a... There was kind of that you. spiritual yeah. grab to it. and But, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's a really beautiful song. But then sometimes, yeah, it's it's a little maudlin, right? Uh huh. Yeah, a little. It's a little saccharin. It's, yeah. it's, it's pronounced mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of mandolin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, nothing little about it. Even even when he's not adding chords, he's just doing the whole little scratch, the yeah. little palm scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew this was going to be controversial on this year. And the thing is, again, no other album for me is like, oh, it's a flawless masterpiece year. But just in terms of my enjoyability, I the some of the highs on the other ones hit a little bit higher for me. So that's why I put it here. But again, this is my nomination. I'm willing to hear it. Yeah, Eddie what's, and so all. what's your... So my nomination for number four would be this side. I kind of knew that was coming. I don't know why. Um, and it's... I love this album. I love this I album. think that this side, the song, is 
a great little pop rock number. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, nice little Sean number. It totally reminds me of a Guster song. The, which is a thing that kind of occurs a little bit through the discography. Yeah. They lean a little bit more on multiple the rock side times, of things. Multiple yeah. times I go, yep, Guster. <laughs> oh yeah, this is why they were my two favorite bands at the same time. Right. Yeah. Well, because yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think also there's something about the vocal textures of when Chris Thiele is wailing up on the tenor part and yeah. Sean is underneath. It totally reminds me of Ryan and Adam from yeah. Guster. Yeah. And also they're playing acoustic guitars and it's, you take out the bongos and you replace it with him... Doing the a little scratching on, on the, the mandolin, mandolin. Yeah. and it's a very similar effect sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, the sirens are coming because this is a hot take, right? <laughs> uh, but the one thing I'll say though, I just I just want to put this out before we dive into the discussion of it. The reason why I put Nickel Creek instead of this side is I will say for this side, the highs for me are higher, but I also have that flip side, another side of the coin, if you will, of the lows being lower. And That's my issue with this side. I like, I'm kind of torn between it, you know? And one of the reasons I might put this side at four <gasps> instead of Nickel Creek is I actually think it hurts for the lack of instrumentals. Oh! Totally. Because it's, I didn't even necessarily it's think about it. smoothie song. Yeah. It's only smoothie song, which is yeah. a great instrumental. Fantastic. One or two more, just because... That's what you kind of come to expect mm-hmm. from Nickel Creek. That's I don't know. I think it kind of hurts it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I uh, hadn't thought of that specifically. My issue with this record is that um, it starts with Smoothie Song, which I feel like is is it's almost like a triumphant composition. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, really, really the dig what they put together there. They did a music video for this, right? Yeah, it's yeah. one of their most popular songs. Yeah. And then it just sort of, it just sort of hangs out in this, like, medium space. Like, mid-tempo kind of. The sad songs aren't that sad, and the angry songs aren't that angry, and the happy songs are aren't happy aren't are happy itch right yeah. right like i would agree with this you on side that. and green and gray are probably the most upbeat things yeah. on here but even green and gray is like not a particularly happy song right. and then just nor you is know, this side <laughs> <laughs> right like, totally yeah. totally yeah, yeah. and, and even and, and the other thing that i the other song i would describe as a beat is young which is also like well, it's yeah. so it's so good but it's it's very minor key yeah and so like then when you when you take off the bits of brightness here you've got speak into you hanging by a thread yes. into i should have known better, better. That's like sort of a depressing run there. Starting with Spin on a Stranger, which is... Yeah. Right, which again is upbeat recording, sad song. Yeah. And like as a a cover of Pavement, a band that I deeply love, and I know this kind of became a talk point, but also I feel like it was so uh, indicative of where they were heading to, of just kind of this emergence of like, okay, people don't like our pop textures, but Mm. we're still going into that indie rock thing. And for me, that's one of the biggest things is like Speak and Young, and even the Spit on a Stranger cover are some of my favorite songs that they've ever done. Like they are, Mm. even as much as it is like popper songs, more kind of pop territory, uh, it is, they do it. They absolutely do it. They don't fucking half-step this shit. Like they fully embrace it, and I appreciate that. So also, I will say, I appreciate um, Beauty and the Mess. It's not like my favorite, favorite song, but it's the first time I feel like Sarah actually gets to like show off vocally. Like I almost feel like on self-titled, she was told to like be sing more delicate. Yeah. Because she's singing full voiced on here to there. And then that's not there for an album. 
And then Mm -hmm. I feel like because Chris Thiele likes to write these angsty little numbers, she sort of got to do that again. (laughs) Um, So I do, I do, I I like this album. It just, um, I mean, just like you said, Evan, the lows are lower for me. And Mm -hmm. so that sort of pulls it, pulls it down just a little bit as a, as a through listening experience. It is, um, I think maudlin was the word that you used, and it is that a little bit. I actually used maudlin for Nickel Creek um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was describing it. But I, I always, like, maudlin is, like, a, is usually, like, kind of negative, but, right? I don't know. I Mandolin, for the last time, guys. I'm not going to correct you. Oh, my you. God. <laughs> okay. I should have made the over-under on that joke. Yeah. But also, but, also um, I'm on this side of the joke. What a brand new sidewalk. What a fucking weird right. way to end this album. <laughs> no, completely, completely. I definitely think if they were going to include it, which I personally think maybe they should have just cut it. <laughs> and for me also, Sober um, Girl is just a fucking drag. I, right. Like, and so like, yeah. it, this album would be better off not even replacing those, just cutting them. Yeah, just <laughs> and, cut, and right. ending with Young. We have a couple edits we'd like to put out there. Um, yeah. so uh, then, ending with Young, ugh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Right? Yeah. But I also think that's where I, maybe what I was kind of getting out when I was saying, I felt like I missed more of the instrumentals on this one. It should have ended with an instrumental. It should have ended with an instrumental. Or, or even if it didn't, I mean, I think the instrumentals tend to bring it up. I mean, that's what happened, happens on Nickel Creek, the album. Is, right, the instrumentals. It might be a little more maudlin in their with their, like, lyrics, but the instrumentals kind of bring it up, and so you feel a little bit more like you're on a ride instead of just, like, maybe a fall. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, in that case, I don't think I'm going to win this vote here on this end <laughs> here, but I think we can, at the very least, put this side at our number four slot. Is that correct? Yeah. All right, so that is number six, Little Cowpoke, number five, here to there, number four, this side. So that means that we have three other albums, self-titled, Why Should the Fire Die, and a dotted line left. Karita, would you follow me in putting Nickel Creek next, or would you have another nomination? Uh, no, I would put Nickel Creek next. You would? Okay. Yeah. Me too. Really? Okay, cool. Yeah. It is that back half that kind of drags it. Totally. Yeah. 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 And it, it's, I love it, but... And I think just, like, we'll get into this, but it is somewhat a maturity thing mm-hmm. that if you put that, hold that up next to either of the other two, just doesn't quite get there. Right. Their songwriting is not quite at the level yeah. as it would be later in their careers. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, that is, uh, then we just went ahead, we locked it in, self-titled Nickel Creek at number three, which leaves Why Should the Fire Die and a dotted line. And this here is a fascinating little discussion here, because again, as I noted before, I don't think either album is fully 100%, oh, it's a full-out masterpiece successful. I just happen to enjoy the fuck out of both of these for very different reasons. Why Should the Fire Die is almost like, it is clearly the sign of like, hey, that little Christian thing that we're doing a little bit, I don't know. Well, I definitely, Chris Thiele lost his faith. Somewhere in there. Exactly. Well, I mean, a lot of it... He did! Also, yeah, he yeah, did, yeah. but a lot of it was also <laughs> I mean, tied up into his divorce, too, that he had around the time, true. too. Okay. And, I, was, I mean, he is kind of the king of angst. Yeah. And writing bitter songs about love lost. <laughs> Which is so funny, bit, because yeah. now... he's also a total goofball. Right. I was about to say, it's so funny <laughs> that he's such the king of angst, because... Well, and it's true, even in Punch Brothers, yeah. it's not happy. Yeah. No. But then, like, you watch him, I I fell it deep into a live with live from here hole on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, I have watched hours <laughs> now of, in the past couple weeks. Um, 
And he is definitely one of those people who feels music with his entire body Mm -hmm. and refuses to not express an ounce of it. (laughs) And so there's so many times where he's just like, when he's really feeling it, he's just like mouth fully open, tongue sticking out a little (laughs) bit, just like a wagon and just like, you know, wailing on his mandolin. And even when he's in the background and other people are playing, he's just like grinning like a moron when they hit that power (laughs) chord. You know, it's it's just delightful. Yeah. Um, And so it's so funny because he clearly gets so much intense joy out of being a musician and getting to perform on stage that it's amusing a little bit to me that so many of his lyrics and the songs that he writes are dark and yeah. bitter and angsty right yeah. yeah yeah so the thing is that like and we don't even have to talk about a ranking let's just talk about the albums in order at this point yeah i think that's what i'm ready for because i i don't i'm not decided yeah so. so first off why should the fire die now this is by far their longest album at 14 tracks here and it takes a lot of detours on there but it's also again as noted kind of their most rocky album like they just do some flat-out fucking rock songs well they also switched here. producers yes. for this album oh Allison Krauss was not available, slash maybe they wanted a new change, a change in direction. But they got, didn't you say it was the guy who produced Good Charlotte? And and Smash Mouth, uh, Eric oh, Valentine. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is that this is also truly their most produced album. There's the yes. most extra sounds. There's more drumming right. on it. There's yeah. by far more drumming on this album than anywhere else in their discography. Because usually there are no drums at all. Yeah. Right? If there is a rhythm section, it's it's Chris on the mandolin. Yeah. And so that's a very interesting change in sound. And they're all, this is also where they they put like some studio produced backing vocals, just to, uh-huh. like a big open chord ah uh-huh. to like in, in increase the impact of a certain section or like uh-huh. there's electric guitar on this album. Um, and so yeah, it's a it's a very much a different animal than I think anything else in their discography because of that. Right. Yeah. The textures they achieve are so distinct and so unique. And even on the opener, when in Rome, there's kind of a background, like kind of muffled kind of voice that they have a little bit mm-hmm. at times there. Like it's clear it's a different beast from the outset. And I appreciate it for that right for that thing. Some I think honestly, some of their best songs are on here, flat out, Absolutely. full stop. I mean, I think When in Rome yeah. is a masterpiece. Yeah. I, I truly think because they take every part that, you know, this is a full-on rock song, but they also then take every part of what makes bluegrass so special, and they infuse it throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that, that instrumental hook of the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, mm-hmm. and then when they'll, they'll play it together, yeah. and then they'll sort of trade off on a section and then seamlessly come back in and play it together yeah. again. Um, and just the the build, the rise and fall of this song is masterful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will say something more like you in terms of Bitter Chris Lee songs is... That's a Sean song. That's a Sean one. That's God a Sean song. Wow, yeah. Sean. I know. I, I'm shocked. Well, that, yeah. that's, I mean... It's you know, so classic. I mean, I'm glad, like, I think this album is like some of their lyrical high points. Yes. Definitely. And like the the line in here where I hope you find someone your height so you can see eye to eye. I 
fucking love that line. Yeah. Every time I'm mad at anyone in my life, <laughs> I feel like I hear that line. Yeah. Like, but then, honestly, then you have Doubting Thomas tucked away near the, at the end, which is yeah. just, that is just that, it's not even doubting your own faith, it's just more like questioning it, of just asking of all these things that I've done, was it fucking worth it? Did I get anything out of it? Like, it's just, stri- it's just striking, uh, like, how powerful that is here. So the thing is that, like, it's just, I feel like it's just, it may be a little bit more of an angrier tone to the album altogether, but then you have fucking, you know, Stop Town just kind of tucked in there, just like, by the way, we do bluegrass too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, fun, well, we sure. appreciate so. It yeah. is true, though, that it does feel a little bit of like, by the way, we're still a fun bluegrass band. Hey. Because, like, because so much of this album is that, like, it can't complain. Oh my is, God. Uh, that was, I fell in love with that song. That was so a song. Hard that I did not know super well before this week. And I, it really surprised me. Um, you know, I think that's I had heard it before. very grown up song. That's what I mean. I, like, you know, I was just thinking, I was like, I, I think this album, when I was listening to it, like. You were almost too young originally? Um, I think I was just the right age. Oh. I think I was, I think this song helped me emotionally, like, grow. Sure. Uh, yeah. This album in many ways, because it is my kind of, I don't want to use the term angst again, but it was my kind of angry. Yeah. Um, while still having a softness to it at a lot of times, which I feel like can't complain and doubting Thomas both have that, like, I'm not, I'm not doing so good, mm-hmm. but like, I'm not going to smash things about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just because like, I'm not happy doesn't mean I need to scream. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Although he does scream a little bit on Can't Complain and it's amazing. Yeah. But yeah. Also, we need to, we need to settle a bit. We were trying to determine what Helena sounds more like, if it sounds more like a Guster song or an Arcade Fire song. Uh, we were having this debate last night. Well, uh, Huh. Uh, I'm not, I'm Arcade not, Fire, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, no, I mean, <laughs> I also, I said Guster just because I feel like I hear Guster a lot in, in this side of them. But as soon as you said Arcade Fire and then I immediately put it on again, I agreed with you. The the build that the they do build. on this song. And then it ends as this huge explosion, which is very Arcade Fire. You know, yeah. The da, 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 da. Like, yeah, it, yeah. I uh, this is another one where there's a line in it that I have just pulled out uh-huh. when he sings, "Guys like me never sleep alone at night." <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I, I see you. I oh, see you. I see you. Yeah, and um, I feel I, that feeling. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I love how unfiltered that song is. Yeah, like, like exactly. he's like. Yeah, I did a shitty thing. And, and the thing is that here's even, the story. Even yeah. then, but that's the thing about this album. The thing I like about it most is that its tone is so specific. Because I feel like even this side, they're trying to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And even then, I feel like even on Nickel Creek, while they're having fun, they're still being a bluegrass band with those right. popover tones. And I feel like Why Should the Fire Die? is like, we're saying something. We're a statement. And that's part of the reason why Stumptown kind of stands out a little bit like it does. Because the rest of the album is just very dramatic and to yeah. have this Philly little fun number it's a nice break in pace certainly it's a, yeah it's a breath but it's also like it doesn't feel the same way and that's the thing where like I, the only thing I don't love about this album is that at 14 songs it is a little bit overlong and by the time you get to something airy like first and last waltz like okay I see why you're here but it's more of a transitional piece for me than mm-hmm. it is like a full on song well so of. they I mean I think they would even agree with you um, they I read that live they would typically play it as an intro to Helena. Like those two songs are They're kind of fused together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, after this album came out, they decided to take a break. So they didn't want to pursue other solo projects. And they took a long break. They had the Farewell For Now tour that went all the way into 2007. And then finally they came back in 2014, did a dotted line. And the thing is, the dotted line was initially just like, okay, let's just do a couple songs. Let's maybe do an EP. You know? Right. They were, because it was the, I think the 25th year yes. of them as a band. Yeah. So yeah. they were like, oh, let's get yeah. a tour, like, let's do a tour again and oh, we can record an EP. And then um, they talked about how getting together to write again, it just was like so natural. They just clicked right in the place. They ended up at writing way more songs than they initially expected together. Yeah. Right. And what's striking is that they also secured the services of Eric Valentine again as producer. But the sound of this album is completely different so from Why Should the Fire It's almost like they're most raw to a degree, too. Completely. Well, you and know? I think part of the reason for that is, is that, I mean, this is now 2014. Yeah. So they have... I mean, it's literally their 25th anniversary. They have been doing this for 25 years at this point. And so you don't need a ton of production tricks yeah. for them because their their gold. vocals are airtight. <laughs> they are incredible technical musicians. They are all three of them are very fucking good at what they do with their string instruments. Yes. They like there's a couple, I mean, and I watched some live performances, and just the nimble fingers is all I have to say. Like, and it's just across this album start to finish. And so that's, they didn't have to, you know, put a bunch of extra drums in or a bunch of effects, or they probably didn't even really use pitch correction. Yeah. Because these are, again, these are people who've been singing together more for their mature, whole lives. More right. Singers. And more mature singers. And they've also now for the past couple of years been harmonizing with other people a mm-hmm. lot more. So that's expanded their skill set. So for, and, for me, the one thing is that I described here to there as kind of the album when I really first clicked into like Sean as a guitarist. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you're fucking amazing. And I don't know which album it is for Chris, but Chris is, you know, admittedly kind of the frontman for the band. So he's, you know, kind of all over the place. But what Sarah does vocally on this album, she's always been a good vocalist. Mm-hmm. But even when you when you hear Destination, when you hear her coming in, like the way that she is able to modulate her voice, well, like up and it is beautiful. I definitely think that spending time away from the band and being a solo artist was really good for Sarah Watkins even more than the other two. I yes. would agree. I really think that she, it helped her find her confidence as an individual. Mm-hmm. You know, she was always, I mean, there are whole songs on earlier albums where I, like, I'm listening to it and I'm like, I don't think Sarah did anything here. Mm-hmm. There's no violin. She's not on harmony vocals. Yeah. And they can't afford to leave her out at this point because she's so, she's such a presence. Mm-hmm. And, and she like growls on her vocal yeah. takes in a way that like she you know she she almost has like a soulful nature to her voice but also because her voice has a lot of texture to it mm-hmm. like it's reedy is not the right word but it, it almost re- it reminds me of Dolly Parton almost in a little way where yeah. there's you know she is still can belt but when she belts there's like this this sort of breathy nature to it. I don't know how to describe it, but it's so compelling to listen to. It is. It's gorgeous to listen to. And also, like, just, yeah, like you said, she, more so than the other two, even just totally has blossomed. Um, Because also, going back and forth from vocals to violin is, like, is not the same, I don't care what you say, as going back and forth from vocals to mandolin or guitar. Yeah. Totally. Like, violin is not... 
It's yeah, a your lot chin harder. is locked into a place. You right, violin is not. It's not a natural position for your body to be in. It's not like violinists are. Oh well, even Terrence so, noticing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that is a very fascinating thing that I noticed. It's is um because I watched a lot of live performances the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Is that in, in modern day Sarah Watkins? She does a lot more just singing without an instrument in yeah. her hand sometimes. And when she doesn't have something in her hand. Her violin arm is still out. Yes. It's still out in the position and she'll like wave it around and gesture with it. Right. But the arm that it has been holding, I mean, because again, she's been doing this for decades upon decades, like literally her whole life. So the muscle memory is like, while she's singing, while she's performing, her her arm that would be holding the violin is like out and ready and gesturing. And that's, and you know, obviously sometimes she's playing guitar or ukulele and so her hands are busy. But it was just, there were a couple different performances where I noticed it and I was like, it's almost kind of, it's cute and endearing. Yeah. Like, I hope she doesn't ever change it because it's just like, I I love that. It's such a core part of you. Yeah. I just want to tell like a funny, cute story from when they did their tour with this album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I don't remember exactly what he said, but basically Chris Thiele, before they played Elephant in the Corn live, basically said like, well, you know, the thing, the like, the thing that slows us down the most is we have to come up with the perfect titles for our instrumental songs. And so here it is, nine years in the making, Elephant in the Corn. <laughs> I love that. Again, very visual. I think, they, I know, but I think they even played that up there. Like when that happens, that's the elephant. Like, yeah. like totally. Like, like when they do when they do that that uh, like, time shift. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was just really funny. Yeah. And I just like always think of that. And even for Sean, Mister, like you know, down with JC kind of boy, like twenty first of May, which Taryn successfully deduced was. I about, was like, well, because I was listening to the lyrics and I was a little bit. I was like, twenty first of May. That means something. Mm-hmm. Oh shit! That was the original rapture prediction that by Howard Camping Howard and Family Camping. Radio. And Sean told Add that Add the story. fish number. Oh, yeah. he, oh did, he did. He did okay. introduce the song that way. Like, hey, so this thing happened. I don't know if you know about it. Remember yeah. when the rapture almost happened? So, and then it uh, did. Wrote the song about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically like what it was. It's really cool. And the thing is that, like, I, the thing I love about a dotted line is that it's so well. Why should the fire die? Was like this is an artistic statement. This is a point. Mm-hmm. A dotted line. It just feels so casual. It, in a way, it you feels know? like three really talented musicians just like having fun together. Yeah, and I think that's why I like it so much is because it truly, you know, and especially hearing them talk about the writing and recording process mm-hmm. was that it was just like, oh great, we're you just know? getting back together. And I also love that it is the most collaborative of their albums writing wise, in that on previous albums it was either a Sean song or a Chris song or a cover. Mm-hmm. Or a cover. Whereas here, six out of the ten songs are credited to all three of them. Yes. And they really, like, figured out the the pieces and the arrangement together as a group. And I think that shines through Mm -hmm. in that, you know, it isn't just, you know, you don't hear it and go, oh, well, this is a Chris song. Except for you don't know what's going on. That's a Chris song. Right. Oh, what the bitter rock song is a Chris song? <laughs> Tell me more. And I really like that song. Yeah. But Honestly, it's like very clear that it isn't one of the yeah. ones that was co-written by all three of them. Right. And then his cover of the band Mother Mother, which is a thing. Uh, they're ba- they cover the song Hayloft. So fun. It's so this clanging like out of nowhere percussion. Yeah, was 
jaw-dropping live. Like, I'm sure, I can imagine. I think that I probably make this up. There, there was like silence after. I mean, like just and I remember when I then when I listened to the album, that was the one I just like had on repeat. I mean, I love the whole album, but it's it's that like ingenuity that mm-hmm. kind of that they were that they have on Why Should the Fire Die and even to some some ways on this side where they're like, yes, we do bluegrass, yeah. but like we also do other things, right. yeah. and we can do everything with just the three of us. Thank you very much. Well, like, and that's <laughs> the. I mean, I listen. This is another one where I listened to the original, and it sounds like a Jack White side project. Like it is yeah. a very, dang, very dang, much. Dang, dang, I mean, Jack dang, White dang, also dang, obviously dang, has yeah. big roots in Americana, yes. right? But yeah. he approaches yeah. it from a completely different place. Yeah. So it was really cool to hear them take this song and just utterly transform it in a different style. But it still was just as aggressive and yes. dangerous. And mm-hmm. I, I agree. I have played this song on repeat. Yeah. I fucking love it. And like the. I mean, it's a song about teenagers, right? Yeah. So, like, that kind of little nod to their, like, roots. Oh, I didn't even think of that aspect. I just thought of it now, but I was like, there's so much about that song that just feels... Also, I love Where Is Love Now. It's so gorgeous. And that's, I mean, I I think, again, when you talk about them not not reading, needing a whole lot extra, like, you really... It's good that there's nothing extra on that song because just the three of them and their acoustic instruments is more than enough. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, that's the thing where after all this discussion, though, I think I may have settled on something which I didn't initially think of before. I think for me personally, I would put Why Should the Fire Die at number two at this point. Like after all the discussion, I'll where y'all stand, but that's just kind of where I'm thinking here. Um, yeah, I th- I, that's not what I thought, what, that's not what I expected. What What do you think, Taryn? That's kind of where I'm leaning to. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. kind of hard, it's hard for me to find a fault in a dotted line. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, I can, I can, there are songs where I'm like, eh, this isn't my favorite on pretty much every other record they yeah. d- did. Yeah. On a dotted line, I don't know that there's anything I would ever skip. Yeah. yeah. Like, I really, truly Christmas love Eve, it. lovely. Just sim- Again, simple, effective. Beautiful har- yeah. I mean, of yeah. course, all of their harmonies are beautiful, but yeah. the, just the, the arrangement that they put together and the way that song swells and builds and then, you know, they go, and then it falls out again. Yeah. And then it breaks back into the chorus. Like, it's just, I, I just love every, every, there's not a note out of place on this record. Yeah. I think you're right. I think we got to. We gotta go. With we that? got it. All right, cool. In that case, guys, you <laughs> heard it here. We have to. We owe exactly. it to the people. <laughs> it's time. It's time to lock it in. In our locked-in statement, brought to you by a uh, segment brought to you by Tide Pods. Uh, that's right, guys. Number six is Little Cowpoke. Number five is here to there. Number four, this side. Number three, Nickel Creek. Number two, Why Should the Fire Die? And you know it was coming. Number one, Rounding Second by Chris Thiele, his uh, sophomore album <laughs> from 1990. Whatever. No, I'm kidding. It's a dotted line from 2014. And guys, listen, we have so much more to talk about. That is what a happier mini so does four we're going to jump into it we're going to talk about uh their various live performances there's so many different iterations of what they do in fact you know how it's the marvel cinematic universe is the mcu it's the ncu the nickel creek universe (laughs) there's so many tangential bands related things that we're going to talk about a bit in the meantime karita 
thank you so much for being here. Pleasure to be here. I'm yeah. so happy I got to take some time away from the world. Yeah. 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 Be here in studio. We're so happy to have you. And hey, we're happy that you're going to be here all the way until next week when we record our uh, Happier mini so It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all whole week is between Yeah, we take things. a week between to like, you know. Just decompress. Decompress. Cause this and get is, like, a little so more drunk. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Taryn, as always, thank you so much. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm so glad that we, we did this. This is one of my favorite artists ever. Yeah. So I, d- I mean, as much as we picked y'all apart, we, I do love Nickel Creek so yeah. very much. They're uh, very unique and special. I hope, they, I hope they come back. I hope there's a Nickelback kind of yeah. situation that goes on. No! I, honestly, I was really surprised there hadn't been a joke yet. I was really happy. I, just it in. I was happy with my fucking uh, The Expanse joke at the well, start. That was, I was not. <laughs> That's, that was a reach. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of reaches, <laughs> if you like this podcast, make sure you leave us a review. Uh, find us on <laughs> iTunes. We're on the SoundCloud. We're on the Amazon. We're on the wherever you find podcast. Leave a review. Anytime you leave a review, it helps visibility. If you want to just talk about how stupid I sound, send an email to the photographers at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. But most importantly, keep on listening because you know that we'll be. Have a good one, everybody. Good. Bye. This is David from the new movies podcast, Catching Up David. I thought I'd tell you a little bit about one of the movies we watched recently that I liked the most, and that was Lilo and Stitch. I especially liked the aliens in Lilo and Stitch, which I didn't realize was a thing. He didn't realize that was a thing because David doesn't know anything about modern pop culture. He somehow missed all of the 2000s. So Kristen and I, we made a list of the pop culture canon movies that we feel were influential and have really solidified their place in today's pop culture and we make David watch them. So if you want to experience someone experiencing pop culture for the first time having lived in a bubble, we can be found at Catching Up David on Twitter or you can find us any place you listen to podcasts or at catchingupdavid.podbean.com.